Because while we decided to focus in on breakthrough and, and while we decided to use the, the promo for this movie and even partner with this movie right here in Eunice to, to buy out some, uh, some of the rooms in the theater at Queen Cinema and give you free tickets if you want to go tonight at 6.50, tomorrow at 4, or tomorrow night at 6.50, and we still have plenty of tickets to give away. You can get those on your way out. We went to a conference last September. I uh, took the staff to this conference because uh, at the end of every day, we are, we are spirit-filled and and born again, and, and we believe in God's call on our lives, and, and most of the time we're really inspired and motivated by it, but at the end of every day, we're human just like you. Like the only thing that separates you from me is this pulpit. And when I step down out of it, I got to walk through life just like you do. At the end of every day, I'm just an almost 35-year-old husband and father with way more responsibility for God's people than I ever deserved. It actually wasn't too long ago I was sitting right there on the front row on a Monday morning after one of the biggest Sundays that we have had thus far, which we've blown that out of the water already just in three services and we still have one to go. And God's blown that out of the water. And I sat right there and I was looking at this stage and everything, just, just reviewing everything that God had done in two and a half years. And I realized it hit me. Um, it made me nervous and anxious. I realized that we were officially pastoring something that was way bigger than what we had control over. See, I'd never been a part of a ministry that was bigger than what I could manage on my own. I'd never been a part of a ministry where there were things that were going on that I didn't even know were taking place. <laughs> and I sat on the front row and I said, God, I hope you know what you're doing because you know I don't. <laughs> <laughs> and you've built this thing up to this point, and I don't know how I'm going to manage it from here. And God said, son, you didn't build it, and you don't have to manage it. When I do it, you don't have to worry about it. Listen to me. When you position yourself before the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and he promotes you, he positions you, the Lord begins to build the house upon which you live in. Then you don't have to worry any more about your tomorrows than you did your yesterdays, because he knows them both just as well as the other. And so we sit in these conferences and we go because we're human and we need to be refueled and refreshed just like we hope that you are every Sunday. And these conferences are cool because they're, they're like preachers that get up and compete against one another. Like, who can preach the best? I was like, that guy was good. This next guy's going to have to bring it. And then he does. And then we're like, oh, man, that guy was good. And, and now they got Pastor Susan, who is the, the first lady of Pastor Don Norton there at CT Church in Houston. Oh, by the way, Pastor Susan's coming to speak at our women's lunch. And just here in a few weeks, you're welcome, baby. I got you, girl. And so sign up for that. And, 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 and they, they are actually the ones that we stole the idea for the health fair and the serve day. So they're mentors and ministers in the faith. And I thought, man, Pastor Susan's got to follow this. And then she come in and preached the house down, outdid all the dudes. I mean, it's just one of those conferences you leave inspired. On the last night, Pastor Samuel Rodriguez got up and he showed this trailer to this movie that we'd not heard of at the time. And, and I'd walked out to go use the restroom because I'm human. And we'd been through two worship services and somebody else had already preached. And so I missed it. Uh, he preached a great sermon on blind Bartimaeus. I didn't realize, but 
Pastor Sam is one of the executive producers of this movie, Breakthrough, that Queen Cinema partnered with us and purchased for us to go and see. And, and Pastor Sam's vision in partnering with that, is, that movie with uh, 20th Century Fox and showing this in theaters all across the nation and around the world is to remind people of this one thing, that with God, all things are possible. It's the story of a mother who lost her son, Joy Smith, watched her son be pronounced dead. And John Smith laid lifeless with no heartbeat, with no breath, having been pronounced dead in the ER. And she laid her hands on her son and asked the Holy Spirit to breathe life again. And the heartbeat came back. And 16 days later, that 15-year-old boy walked out of the hospital. And he's completely healed and completely restored. And so they have begun to show this video and, and, and premiered and promoted it for Easter Sunday. I didn't really think anything else about it that night because I didn't even know what it was and none of the staff could tell me how to Google it at the time. But I went to another conference in January and I walked into this conference and there was this big banner with this logo minus New Hope. We didn't have our logo on their banner. Oh, that would have been cool though. <laughs> I was like, we're going to try to figure out how to make that happen. But they had this, this logo and big banner in all uh, theaters across America, Easter Sunday, 2019. And um, I was at a conference that was predominantly a suit and a tie conference. And I don't wear those unless somebody's getting married. And so I, I was dressed like me. And, and I, I saw another guy that had a short sleeve shirt on. He was about my age and he looked like friendly fire. So I walked over to him and I introduced myself. He was standing in front of this banner and I began to ask him about this movie. And he said, well, I'm the pastor of the church in St. Peter's, Missouri, where first assembly of God, I was praying for breakthrough for our church in the midst of all that had happened with the political unrest revolving around Michael Brown and Ferguson, Missouri, which was only about 20 minutes away. And, and it was affecting our church and it was affecting the unity in our church. And, and by the way, we should never allow the world to divide what only God put together in his house. Red, yellow, black, or white. We are the ones that he purchased on the cross of Calvary. And we shouldn't allow CNN, Fox News, or anybody else to determine the unity that Jesus Christ purchased with his blood on a cross called Calvary. We stand firm and we stand together despite the political unrest. And that wasn't happening in his church. And he was praying through it. And that is when John went through the ice. And they thought that they had lost a 15-year-old boy, but God performed a miracle. And so I took, uh, I had him, because he was the pastor of the church, I'm, I'm never ashamed to, to do just this. I, I took a selfie with him. Go ahead, throw that up. Yeah, there he is. Look at me and him. And, uh, and I went back up to my room. And because he's young, he knows how to operate all the newfangled gadgets. And so I, I was able to swipe my credit card on his phone. And, and he gave me this book. And then uh, he signed it for me. He said, Miracles Still Happen, Pastor Jason Noble with the scripture. And it's got my name in it. He wrote my name, F-R-Y-E, just for the record. So if you take this book, we've got you on camera. And I will hunt you down, cut off your legs, and take my book back because <laughs> it's mine. And I'm proud of it. <clears throat> We purchased tickets for you. You can get tickets for free on the way out today. Why did we do that? Because we still believe that God performs miracles. We still believe that God does 
the impossible. In Mark chapter 10, we see this story of the rich young ruler. And the rich young ruler comes to Jesus and he says, how must I be saved? And Jesus tells him, you follow the commandments. And he's really excited because he says, oh, well, I followed all the commandments since I was young, which is a lie. Because all of y'all know that you were a bad little toot. <laughs> we just understand that we weren't living for Jesus when we were 8, 10, 11, 12. When our parents weren't looking, we were doing things we weren't supposed to. And he's not better than we were. But he, he had an idea about his religious standing with Jesus that was not his reality. And he said, I've kept all of those since I was young. And, and Jesus looked at him and said, great, go sell everything you have forsake all, come back and follow me. And the Bible says that he walked away sad because he had many possessions. And now some of y'all are like, oh, well, I'm off the hook because I ain't got many possessions. I ain't hardly got any possessions. (laughs) I make broke look rich. I got you. I understand what you're saying. But the reality is if you live in the United States of America, you have running water, electricity, and access to a vehicle that you are actually in the top 3% of financial prosperity in the entire world. And many people walk away from Jesus because they get offended over pastors and churches receiving all offerings and tithes. They get offended when the preacher begins to speak about finances. They get offended whenever God or one of his men or women begin to ask them for the things that they find the most security in. And the Bible says this rich young ruler whose name we never will know, who could have been the 13th disciple, but instead he is the one that never was. He walked away sad because he had many possessions and he wasn't willing to do what it took to receive his breakthrough. He wasn't willing to surrender and lay it all down, forsake all and follow Jesus. So the disciples, I mean, they, they've been walking with Jesus for a while. They've been watching him perform miracles. It's been cool up to this point, but they just watched Jesus talk somebody out of following him. So they asked this question, man, if that is what's required, then who could ever be saved. And Jesus, he doesn't dodge the question. He just answers it how he wants to on his terms. In verse 27 of Mark chapter 10, Jesus looked at them intently and said, humanly speaking, it is impossible. It's impossible to be saved, but not with God. Everything is possible with God. See, this breakthrough Easter We set this whole thing up and the Holy Spirit led us to structure and to speak and to join and partner with the producers from this movie to purchase the tickets right here in Eunice and give them away to you so that you could be reminded that we serve a God with whom all things are possible. Humanly speaking, it is impossible for you to be saved. Humanly speaking, it is impossible for you to be restored. It is impossible for you to be forgiven. It is impossible for your brother brokenness to be made beautiful. It is impossible for your relationships to be reconciled. It is impossible for your finances to go further than what they're supposed to. Humanly speaking, these things are impossible, but not with God. Everything is possible with God. You can be saved. You can be forgiven. You can be freed. You can discover purpose. You can impact eternity. Your relationships can be restored. The wayward 
son and daughter can be called back home. You can have manna in the morning and you can feed 5,000 people with five loaves of bread and two fish. You can have a lamb coming up the other side of the hill when you lay your last dollar down on the altar. You can believe God for signs and wonders and miracles once again. Your family can see the difference that Jesus Christ made and the Holy Spirit is making because humanly speaking, these things are not possible, but with God, all things are still possible. We still serve a God that can save and heal and perform miracles. We still believe in that God. Now, I don't know how you, I love Christmas. Like, I love it. I loved it more before I had three kids when I was a kid. And I opened all the gifts and didn't have to buy any of them. Y'all know what I'm talking about. I still love Christmas, though, because I go to my in-laws and to my parents' house. And they do all that stuff for us. So I get right in with my kids and open gifts. I'm like, socks. Man, I got socks, y'all. I can buy my socks. Buy me something I can't buy. I don't need you to buy me socks. We got Walmarts. I mean, it's there. I still love Christmas. I do. I love Christmas. I love the promise of the Messiah that he came and he's coming back. It's the promise that we celebrate at Christmas. But listen, I am inspired. I am motivated by what we call Easter. It is the proof of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It is the proof that the God we serve laid down his life but raised it back up again three days later. That he died for our sins but he was resurrected for our life. See, but here's the problem. Everybody wants to experience a resurrection but nobody wants to be crucified. Everybody wants to experience a new life but they're not willing to surrender their old life. Everybody wants to go to heaven but nobody wants to die. I came to tell you this morning that Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins and after he died to the sins of our past even our present and possibly God forbid our future he didn't stay that way three days later he burst forth from the grave and when a man is in Christ he's a new creation all things pass away and all things become new that's who you are in Jesus Christ when you decide To follow him. Number one, if you're taking notes this morning, you can also pull up our notes on eunicechurch.com slash notes, or if we handed you a bulletin on the way in, you can fill them in on the back of that. Number one, we want to encourage you. Take a journey with Jesus. Take a journey with Jesus. In Matthew chapter 17, we see... This culmination of some things that happened when somebody took a journey with Jesus. Not just when they came on an Easter and received salvation. Not just when they finally answered the invitation and and showed up with God's people in what we refer to as His house in a service. But when they took a journey of following Jesus... They began by forsaking all and began to walk in his footsteps. And when he turned around and when he looked back, he saw his disciples standing in the footprint that he had left as he walked past. That's the journey that we're talking about taking. 
And in the book of Matthew chapter 17, we see that this journey led three of his disciples up to the top of what is referred to now as the mountain of transfiguration. Now, I don't know how Jesus got away with this. Because the last time I counted, he had at least 12 people following him. So 12 of them followed him to the mountain, and he says, okay, um, you nine, you guys, you stay down here, and you three, you come up here with me. Now listen, if I did that as the pastor of this church, the nine people that I left at the bottom would accuse me of forming a clique and wanting to leave them out. They would start their own church plant. They'd call it the newest new hope. And they would start doing things out of spite against me because I didn't include them in a place that they thought they belonged. But when you follow Jesus, it's not about what you have. It's about who he is. So the three followed him up to the top and the nine waited patiently. I know that if you were part of the nine and I happen to be Jesus in this story, you'd be sitting at the bottom complaining, mumbling, and grumbling about Pastor Chris Fry. He done formed his little clique. That's because he's from North Louisiana. Stinky Yankee. If he was Cajun, he wouldn't have left me down here. He don't even know how to spell his name. If he spelled it F-R-E-Y like all the rest of the world knew how to spell that name, he wouldn't have left me down here. Jesus took his three up to the top. And in verse two of Matthew chapter 17, the Bible says, as the men watched, listen, There are some things that you will only see when you're following Jesus. There are some things in this life, and certainly in the next, that you will miss out on if you stop halfway. Can you imagine if Jesus stopped halfway up the hill to Golgotha? Could you imagine if Jesus didn't stay on the cross after, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And then declared to death, hell, the grave, the world, and all of creation that it is finished. What if after the thief on the cross responded to him and he said, today you will walk with me in paradise. In fact, you know what? I'm kind of tired of this. Michael! And he just got taken down by 11,000 angels. He never suffered this fullness of the crucifixion. He was obedient unto the cross, but not unto death. Then we would have never seen a resurrection. You follow Jesus halfway and you miss the whole thing. There are some things that you only see when you follow him all the way to the place that he has for you. And as the men watched, Jesus' appearance was transformed so that his face shone like the sun and his clothes became as white as light. Now, Peter wanted to build three tabernacles, and God interrupted him because the the purpose of the mountaintop is not for the people on it. The purpose of the mountaintop moment in the presence of God Most High is for the people who are not on the mountain with the ones who are experiencing it. Listen, if your experience in Christ isn't impacting somebody else's eternity, then you need to take an evaluation of why God gave you that experience and jump back into his purpose for you and the people that he keeps putting in your path. Stop going back to the same place and having to start all over again and again. But be transformed as he is. Watch this. Paul understood this principle. He was Saul, murdering, pharisaical, Roman citizen, promoted, put in place, prosperous. And he met Jesus in a minute. And he was transformed from Saul to Paul three days later as the scales fell off of his eyes and he began to see the world in a way that he never saw it before. 
And he writes in Romans chapter 12, verse 2, don't copy the behavior and the customs of this world. You've already done that. You've already been doing that. And humanly speaking, you're going to continue to fall short of God's glory and God's will for your life. So don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God, same word that we see Jesus, transformed in the image of the Father. This Greek word, metamorphu, is the same word that Paul uses right here, that when we stop conforming to the patterns of the world and we let God transform us, how does he do it? into a new person by changing the way that you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. Here's what I'm inspiring you to do with this point. Let Jesus transform your life as his is. Jesus was so transformed by the resurrection that on the road to Emmaus, the people that had been walking with him for the previous three years did not even recognize him anymore. Listen, your life in Christ should be so transformed by the power of God and the Holy Spirit that the people that thought that they knew you from the day that you were born, they're the ones that are telling you, I don't even recognize you anymore. You don't act the same. You don't think the same. You don't talk the same. You don't go to the same places, hang out with the same people. Something happened to you, and you have a joy that's inside of you that I see that I need. Something happened to you that would give you peace in the midst of persecution. What is it that transformed you, and how can I get some of it? That's what Jesus was like after the resurrection. And it's what drew Thomas back, even though he didn't recognize his Savior. He put his hand in the wounds and he believed again, even though he denied with doubt, as many of us have done in our journey thus far. Jesus was still willing to reveal himself once more. Number two this morning, I want to invite you to surrender all to him. This is going to be a short point. Surrender all to him. Why? Because metamorphosis, transformation, Transformation only happens when we surrender. If, you, if we only partially surrender, then we will never be fully transformed. We will never completely become what God created us to be because we stood with one foot in and one foot out. Because we came on Easter and we'll probably come back again next year, but we never truly plugged into the body of Christ. We never completely surrendered on a daily basis. Maybe we come to church every week of the month, but we don't live for Jesus every day of the week. Whatever it looks like for you, transformation for me, for you, and for us will require that we completely surrender to him. And friend, I, I wish it did, but it doesn't always come through one prayer. It, it can begin with one prayer, but that's not where it ends. It doesn't always take place in one moment. It doesn't always take place with one decision, but I can promise you, hear the testimony 
of this not anything more but just another human who Jesus is transforming and passing down something to the next generation that will actually be worth carrying. Hear me this morning when I say, it's not just about the moment, it's about the mileage. It's not just about the decision, it's about the distance. It's not just about the prayer, it's about the process. And you've got to be willing to surrender all and surrender all to Him every single day if that is what's required. I can promise you, if you are willing, it will be worth it when you get to the other side. No matter what your situation looks like. No matter the outcome, it will require complete and total surrender. See, all that God wants to do in our lives, he subjected it to something. God's will for us has been subjected to our surrender to him. Our third and final point this Easter April 21st, 2019. I don't know where you are in your journey with Jesus. But we're all in a journey whether we recognize it or not. So we may as well take it with Him instead of continuing to try to take it on our own. We may as well surrender all to Him so that we can be completely transformed as he is hear me this is for somebody stop giving Jesus your life and then taking it back again stop asking Jesus to come into your heart and make the decision to give him yours third and final point this morning Follow Jesus and never stop. We're going to pray a prayer with you. But I need you to understand that Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, Corinthians, and on. We see Jesus come to people and say one thing. Two words. Follow me. This journey as a disciple of Jesus Christ, one who will inherit the kingdom of God, it will require that we deny ourselves, that we take up our cross, and we follow Jesus. So follow Jesus and never stop. Megan and I, in answering the call to ministry, I know some of you are cold, but I, I should have brought another shirt, y'all. I'm sweating. I'm telling I sweat through all kinds of stuff this morning. So just endure, endure the chill with me for just a little bit longer. Megan and I, no, my stepdad, Daddy Tim, built me, us, contracted us a new house. And he would call me and tell me when I needed to go clean up the bricks or the wires or the sheetrock or whoever was coming next and I needed to get it done and so I'd go out there. Normally I'd take a teenager with me and work them really hard, give them like 20 bucks for three hours. Be like, dude, you should be thankful, man. I mean, you really should. I mean, there's people in China making dresses for a lot less than that right there, you know. So it was great. It was good times together. We work on that. We got this house built, brand new house, brand new house. We were newly married. We'd only been married for just a few months and we moved into this brand new house with a jacuzzi bathtub and walk-in tile shower 
little seat on the back, little rainfall thing over here and in the back. And I'm, anyways, I hadn't had one since, so I was just reminiscing for a second. Um, we sold the house. We, we, we knew that God was calling us to ministry, like full-time vocational ministry, because you're all called to ministry. The Bible says the saints are equipped to do the ministry, but we, we sensed a call to full-time vocational ministry. And, and so we put our house on the market because we didn't know where we were going, but we knew we were going somewhere. And we both agreed, and we began to, to entertain sales, and, and we had somebody come offer us a full asking price and pay the closing costs. We were like, sold to the highest bidder. But we didn't know where we were going. And we had interviewed at a couple of places. It didn't really work out very well. We were closing on our house, and we still didn't have a place to go. And so Megan asked me, she's like, babe, are we sure we're supposed to, like, did you, are you sure you heard from Jesus? I was like, no, not really. (laughs) I mean, yeah, girl, follow me as I follow Christ. Stand firm in your faith. I mean, that's what I said, sort of, but we didn't know where we were going. We're closing our house and and we went that weekend to Searcy, Arkansas. We entered, interviewed with Pastor Vernon Abels, who is Pastor Jeff Abels at Crossroads Uncle. We interviewed with them. He hired us on the spot. We were already packed. We were already ready to move. And we were moving the next weekend. He wanted us there the next weekend. They had been without a youth pastor long enough. Man, we went home excited. Like, I didn't even care that I was moving into a parsonage that smelled like mothballs. I was just glad I had a house, y'all. <laughs> I was thankful. We got home, and I preached one more time that Wednesday night at Gateway Church in Shreveport. And I came home that night. We were packing up, folding boxes, and doing all the stuff you're supposed to do when you get ready to move. My phone rang. It was about 11 o'clock, and it said, Daddy. And my heart sunk because I knew something was wrong. On the other end of the line was my father's girlfriend. He had been uh, divorced twice and remarried, and then the woman that he remarried got cancer and passed away. So he was dating an, another woman several months later. She was on the other end of the line, and she was frantic. My father had had a massive heart attack, and, and she didn't know what was going on. Her daughter, her 16-year-old daughter, actually performed CPR on my dad for, for the 30 minutes that they were waiting on the ambulance. They got him in the ambulance. They took him to the hospital. And she said, you got to get here. I don't know what's going on. So I was like, oh, my goodness. I hang up. I tell Megan. I got in my car, which I was the only children's pastor in the state of Louisiana at the time that drove a, a, a black BMW with M3 rims. It was sick. It was an awesome car. Uh, now I drive my daddy's work truck, and it's great. <laughs> it's good, too. And, but I was still living with Silver Spoon from my parents' house at the time, and I backed out of the cul-de-sac of that little neighborhood that we lived in, and I looked down the road, and I said, God, you and I both know I'm about to break a few limits here, getting from Houghton, Louisiana, just east of Bossier, over to Longview, Texas. And I need you to cover me, because i got to get there. I don't know what's going on. And I was crying, you know, as a 24-year-old son would do. I had a 15-year-old brother at the time that was a freshman in high school. And I said, God, I don't know what's happening right now, and I don't know why, but I can promise you, no matter what happens, I will still love you and I will still serve you. And I got there, and the doctors came in to tell us they were about to pronounce him dead because they hadn't had a heartbeat for an hour. And I said, can I pray? So I went back and they let me pray. And I prayed everything I knew to pray. I read the story of Lazarus. I began to pray in tongues as the Spirit gave me utterance out loud in front of everybody. I didn't care. I was there to edify myself and see my dad raised from the dead. That's what I was there to do. And God restored a heartbeat, which I was thankful for. And I believe in God for a miracle. But then nine days later, I didn't have the outcome that Joyce Smith had. My dad died in the ICU. So I had a choice. 
Would I stay true to the confession? Or would I get mad at God? In the scripture we see in Daniel chapter 3, this story of a tyrannical and murderous king, a dictator named Nebuchadnezzar that took captive God's children and God's people. And we see these three Hebrew boys. The scripture names them Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Babylon named them Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. See, King Nebuchadnezzar had built a tower of himself, an idol before God, and he had called an entire nation to bow before this idol. And the entire nation of Israel under Babylonian captivity, the empire that David and Solomon had built, are now bowed on the ground in Babylonian captivity before an idol made by the hands of men, except for three. Three boys. Nebuchadnezzar brings the three boys to the throne room and he says, if you don't bow, I'm going to throw you in the fire. I've cranked it up so hot that you won't even make it in, much less make it out. And we'll see whether your God can save you in the midst of the fire that I built. And I love what they say back to him. In Daniel chapter 3, verse 16, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied, Oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we did not need to defend ourselves before you. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God whom we serve is able to save us. He is able. He will rescue us from your power, your majesty. But even if he doesn't, we want to make it clear to you, your majesty, that we will never serve your gods or worship your golden statue that you have set up. What these three boys were telling that enemy and that circumstance was, I don't know what the outcome is going to be, but I know the one that determines the outcome. My God can and my God will, but whether he does or whether he doesn't, we will never stop fighting. Following Jesus, I will take a stand because I know that I can stand in anything when I'm standing.